I'm Jessica Harris, and welcome to my welcome table. Gather round this special table. It's scarred with memories, pitted with burned spots from hot skillets, and decorated with moisture rings from frosty glasses of lemonade, beer bottles, bourbon and ginger ale, and untold goblets of red wine. This table will be our flying carpet as we travel around the world. I'll share some of my secret spots. We'll meet new friends and reconnect with old ones. Sometimes, the table will be covered with fine porthot linen and my mother's bone china, and we'll sup on caviar and champagne. Other times, we'll cover it with yesterday's news and hanker down for a crawfish boil or a lobster supper. Whatever the meal, by the end of our time together, we'll have shared some special friends, sacred spots, and the food, drink, and music that connects them. So come, join me at my welcome table. Hello, my name is Jane Levi, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. Hello, my name is Olive Alu, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. Hello, my name is Paul Bloomfield, and I don't know why I'm speaking into this. <laughs> my name is Don Sloan, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. And my name is Paul Bloomfield, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. Compass points, 57.75 degrees north, 1.26 degrees west, Oxford, England. Oxford. The county seat of Oxfordshire has been around since Saxon times when it was first settled. It actually got its name from being the place where the oxen forded or crossed the River Thames. The city grew and its prestige was fixed when it was granted a charter by King Henry II who gave the town citizens the same rights as those enjoyed by the citizens of London, the capital. In fact, two kings of England, Richard I and John, were born at Beaumont Palace in Oxford. All of that is well and good, but let's face it, the reason most of us know Oxford today is because it is the seat of the oldest institution of higher learning in the English-speaking world, Oxford University. Oxford, like many university towns, is divided between town and gown, and indeed, in Oxford, gown, more often than not, trumps town in many ways, for the university is the town. The university is divided into a multiplicity of colleges, each with its own peculiarities. The oldest are University College, which was founded in 1249, Balliol, 1236, and Merton, 1264, and they're still going strong today. They, along with other colleges like Christ Church, Worcester, All Souls, Corpus Christi, Trinity, and more, have all grown up in the town and formed the 38 colleges that the world knows as Oxford University. 
This is the gown part of town, and a magnificent town it is. I find it strangely Middle Eastern in the sense that the individual colleges are hidden behind arches and closed doorways, and a step through them leads to wide vistas that are not immediately visible. A step through an opening marked by only a small plaque may lead to a courtyard, a ramble, a meadow, or even a series of interlaced quadrangles leading deeper and deeper into areas where the heady perfume of scholarship is so embedded in the walls as to be almost palpable. Oxford is a town that wears its age well, and indeed for centuries has been a mecca for those in search of learning or simply in need of a touch of the magic that comes with gowns, mortarboards, and a whiff of dust from centuries-old books. This is the Oxford of gown, where the center of town is awash with tourists no matter what time of year. Some follow guides spouting dates and names and babble of languages. Others walk the streets simply pointing and gesturing and reading out loud to each other from tightly clutched guidebooks. Still others ramble, recalling their own school days and recounting old anecdotes to children and grandchildren. They all navigate the cobblestone streets, avoiding the cyclists who claim the narrow alleyways as their own and are genuinely put out at dawdlers and those who do not pay attention to the zipping two-wheel traffic. Well, you know that it's going to be all right. I think it's going to be all right. Everything will always be all right when we go shopping. Well, you know that it's going to be all right when we go shopping. Shopping is another pastime for visitors, and some are attracted to the high street with its boutiques and shops that range from those selling T-shirts and teddy bears dressed in mortarboards and Oxford University shirts to the Oxford University Press Bookshop, which offers more erudite souvenirs. Every time that I'm in town, I don't miss a stop at Scriptum on Turl Street. I confess to being a paper junkie, and the journals, note papers, and other items devoted to the art of writing and correspondence just make me drool with delight. I also love to try to guess the aria that's on the soundtrack of opera that is the store's musical hallmark. Another favorite is Alice's shop on St. Allgate's. It's housed in the shop that was the inspiration for the illustration of a shop in which Alice is served by a bad-tempered sheep in Through the Looking Glass. It purveys all manner of Alice items, from the usual mugs and keychains to Cheshire Cat tea cozies, Queen of Hearts Christmas ornaments, and napkins decorated with images from the book. I've even managed to find a pillbox that says, Eat Me, with an enameled image of Alice that makes me smile while I'm taking my morning pills.
I never miss a stop at the covered market, which was established in 1774. Although it does have some souvenir-type shops in the front, it's much more than that. I like to stock up on lavender bubble baths and other items at Oxford Botanicals, and always remember to poke my head into the pet shop to buy a souvenir for my four-footed family. But the real reason that I go to the covered market is that it boasts a real market at back, complete with bakers decorating cakes that look like London buses and Oxford monuments, greengrocers with an amazing assortment of local vegetables, and old-fashioned butcher shops displaying beautiful cuts of British beef that make me long for an oven. The butchers even wear traditional garb, occasionally a straw boater, and long pinstriped aprons, and the displays showcase pork pies, cured meats, and bags full of something called pork scratchings that looked and tasted and in fact were pork cracklings just like those that I gobbled down in Lafayette, Louisiana. There are lovely hotels like the Venerable Randolph and the super comfortable rooms at the Old Bank Hotel and Old Parsonage Hotel. That's where Oscar Wilde stayed and that lives largely in my fantasy life. Owner Jeremy Mogford is such a lover of literature and of things culinary, each hostelry has a wonderful restaurant attached, that he has established a richly endowed literary prize for a short story that features food, drink, and or culinary culture. I'm planning to enter that one year. It would pay for my vacation. This is the Oxford of the casual tourists. There are certain must-see stops, the Christchurch Meadow and the same school's magnificent dining hall that served as the refectory in Hogwarts and the Harry Potter movies, and the waterways where Brat and Mole and Badger and Mr. Toll frolicked in Wind in the Willows. And no visit should end without a stop at the Ashmolean Museum. If you're not a museum-goer, just amble over at around four in the afternoon for high tea, which is a dazzling display of yummy things sweet and savory, including cream cakes, neatly cut tea sandwiches, clotted cream, and enough goodies to make for a very late supper, indeed. But the more stalwart museum-goers will delight in the Ashmolean because of the range of displays and its new organization. The exhibits on textile restoration are riveting, and the one on the history of money was enlightening. And any lover of Lawrence of Arabia, remember Peter O'Toole, will delight in seeing the iconic Arabian dress that was presented to him. There's Greek statuary, Henry VIII's stirrups, and Powhatan's mantle, lavishly decorated with cowrie shows. In case you've forgotten, Powhatan was Pocahontas' father. There's special exhibits as well, and you can really lose yourself in the museum that is designed as a teaching institution. There are many other things to do in Oxford. There are the magnificent concerts at the Sheldonian, and rare books on view at the Bodleian Library. 
There's the skeleton of the dodo bird to see at the Pitt Rivers Museum that is the ethnological museum for the town, and too many other sites to mention. There's also literary Oxford, the Oxford of browsing at Blackwell's incredible bookstore for works about the city. As a home for scholars, it has appeared in literature since the Clark's Tale, or the Clerk's Tale in American, in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, that depicted the clerk of Oxenford, an impoverished bookworm and student of philosophy who was the nerd of his era. A quick tour of literary spots takes one to places like the Worcester College Garden where Alice followed a rabbit down a tunnel, and I quote, not much larger than a rat hole, into the loveliest garden you ever saw, end quote. Charles Dodgson, better known to the world as Lewis Carroll, was a fellow of Christ Church College and the tree where the Cheshire cat sat and smiled, and the treacle well can still be seen around town. For lovers of more modern fiction, Zuleika Dobson by Merton College alumnus Max Beerbaum and Brideshead Revisited give more contemporary and recognizable views of the city. For those who want a darker side to the town, the Colin Dexter Inspector Morse series of mysteries should do the trick. They, more than any of the others, explore the dichotomy between gown and town. For Oxford is also a town, one where folks live, and I've come to know that part of it well also. Ironically, it was not the ivy-covered walls of academe that brought me to Oxford, but rather the Falstaffian delights of the table. I have for several years had the rather enviable position of speaking annually at the Oxford Literary Festival. Under the leadership of Sally Dunsmore and Tony Byrne, the festival has grown to become an annual gathering of writers from around the world who come together for ten days to delight in the power of the word. In years past, events have included Jesse Norman in conversation with able interviewer Paul Blazard and Sir Ian McKellen in a virtual master class with Shakespearean scholar Sir Jonathan Bate, who is also the provost of Worcester College. And each year, I wait to see what new delights they have in store. I attend, as part of a gastronomic thread that is curated by Oxford Gastronomica, an entity that celebrates food and culture and that is linked to the Oxford School of Hospitality Management at Oxford Brooks. Full disclosure here, I'm actually a proud patron of Oxford Gastronomica, along with Madhur Jaffrey, Ken Hom, and Raymond Blanc, among others. I'm in culinary high cotton, indeed. I delight in heading up the hill to Gypsy Lane 
to Oxford Brooks to spend time with head of school Donald Sloan and students like Leo Johnson and others who come to Oxford Brooks to study hospitality management. Oxford Brooks is a school that's not part of the venerable institution, Oxford University, but rather a vital and vibrant evolution of the Oxford School of Art. Now, it's in its 150th year under the stewardship of Vice Chancellor Alastair Fitt, and it has been named among the world's top most international universities for the diversity of its students. And the students combined some of the best of town and gown, and with them and other Oxford friends, I've explored other parts of Oxford. discovered Jericho, a historic suburb of the town that is today its own little enclave. Originally a place for travelers to overnight if they reached town after the gates had closed, it is today a quiet enclave that seems miles away from the pomp and circumstances of town center. People live in 19th century row houses that have been redone and gentrified. Here things move to a different pace, and the community spirit reminded me of life in the West Village in the 70s and 80s. There's a movie house named The Phoenix after its several incarnations. It plays art films and foreign films, but first-run films as well. And there are many, many coffee houses and local shops. There's even a canal and a walk alongside it that begs for strolling. Everything here is on human scale, and the shops seem to be run by folks who know their neighbors, and by those who make the goods that they sell. It's gentrifying rapidly, but currently is perched on the knife's edge of perfection with just enough grit to make it feel real. pubs have a special spirit. One night after dinner at the Anchor, a pub that serves better than average food, I was thrilled to hear voices singing Deep River. Amazed and delighted, I walked over and spoke with the group and learned that it was a group of local choristers who were rehearsing for a concert. It was a magical evening, one that for me defined what life may be like for folks who are not always in the university's thrall. Osney Island is a small riverside community to the city's west. It's technically a part of the ward of Jericho and has some of the same feeling, but with a slightly different feel that comes from living in proximity to water, I guess. It reminded me a little bit more of Martha's Vineyard in the off-season. Here my guides were Christopher Gray, an Oxford journalist, and his friend Rosemary Perry, 
and they're called by their friends, among whom I hope to number myself, but maybe not after this, Chrissy Wissy and Rose Mirage. An invitation for Sunday drinks was the catalyst, and after a delightful session at Rosemary's house, with a visit to Christopher's with its garden overlooking the Thames, which now features on my mental list of places I'd gladly kill in order to live. After that, it was off to the pub for lunch. Now, I don't know how they do it, but the pub food that I had in Oxford was all of a much higher caliber than the pub grub that I recall from decades past. Here... After the appetizers that ranged from shishito peppers to potted shrimp, I indulged in the very British tradition of Sunday roast and was treated to roast pork with applesauce and mashed potatoes. It was truly yummy, and from the smiles on the faces of my dining companions, their roast beef and other dishes were equally tasty. All too soon, it was out of the punter, out of... Osney Island and back into town with a return to my New York reality shortly thereafter. But I trust I will be back in Oxford next year and continue my exploration of the city of learning that always has something to teach me. And so, until next time.